1 Kings 17, verse number 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was in the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, king of Israel, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Notice the word command. I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. We'll stop reading there, although the message goes on. Lord, we pray for your guidance in our thoughts, in our applications, in your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Elijah is one of those truly interesting characters of the Old Testament. Over the last couple of years, there have been several messages. Brother Austin has preached some, and I've preached some, related to Elijah. Many practical lessons come out of his life. He was useful to the Lord in many ways, and one of the most important was his mentoring of Elisha, who took his place later on. And then while he was preaching to the king of Israel, he was also commissioned to anoint the future king of the country of Syria. Sadly, in the midst of things, he nearly left the ministry because his faith completely failed. If we were to ask the average Christian, if we were to ask the average ex-Sunday school student, about Elijah's best-known story, what would the answer be? This is not a scientific study. I'm just using my imagination. I think that the most common answer would be that miracle that took place on Mount, Mount Carmel. It was there that Elijah built an altar... He had it drenched with water, which was extremely rare because of the drought. He had it drenched with water. Maybe it was carried up from the Mediterranean. I don't know. Uh, and a sacrifice was put on it. That sacrifice was just as wet as the wood was. And then he called on the Lord to miraculous, miraculously set on fire the soaking wood and the soaking sacrifice. And the Lord did it because this was done in the will of the Lord. Apparently Elijah knew what was going to happen. And the Lord was magnified in the sight of Israel that day. That was followed by a spectacular and miraculous end to the extended drought that begins in chapter 17. A major part of all of this was the faith of Elijah. Making the assumption that Mount Carmel was at the apex of 
Elijah's ministry and faith. My theme this evening involves some of the smaller steps to reach that faith. Elijah's greatest work of faith came on the heels of several earlier tests and examples of faith. The spiritual muscle necessary to do the heavy lifting on Mount Carmel, those muscles were strengthened and tested here in chapter 17. I don't want this lesson to be about history. This isn't an attempt to fill up a here, another time slot at Sunday evening. The preacher's got to come up with a message, so he's just going to talk about some something out of the Old Testament. That's not what it is at all. I would like to be able to say someday that you enjoyed a Mount Carmel experience. I'd like to be able to watch from heaven as the Lord pours out the fire of his power on you just as he did that sacrifice. But God only pours out his fire when we have become sacrifices ourselves. I'd like to rejoice with you as you rout a few uh, heathen priests, send them scattering. I would like to rejoice as you lead a, a nation of people to a greater faith in the Lord. If that is going to happen to you, then you, then I need to prepare a little bit. We need to empty ourselves. We need to exercise what little faith that we have. We need to practice its use. We need to draw nigh unto God, divesting ourselves of ourselves. Our, our self-confidence, our pride, our, our, our fleshly strength. There has to be a chapter 17 before we can get to chapter 18. We are told that several events took place in this chapter. There were two sites where those events took place, and they lead up the slopes of Mount Carmel. There was the brook Cherith, and the widow's house in Zarephath. My job is pretty easy this evening because all of this is so self-explanatory. All I have to do is take a nugget or two here and try to apply it. The brook Cherith. Elijah just bursts on the scene. We don't know anything about him. There's no reference to Elijah before we come to verse number one of this chapter. He's not mentioned before. We don't know very much about him, but we do know this. He was not from Jerusalem. He wasn't born in Bethlehem. He wasn't from Samaria, which is Ahab's capital. He wasn't from any major city in Israel. He was from Gilead, out on the plains east of the Jordan River. Because of that connection... He may have been as much an outcast in his day as the people of Galilee were to the Jerusalemites in Jesus' day. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? From up there in Galilee? You've got to be kidding. There's a lesson here in this. We don't have to have an outstanding pedigree to be useful to the Lord. Right. 
We don't have to have a seminary degree to become a great person of faith. In fact, the, the degree that we get from Jerusalem Theological Seminary may in fact hurt us in our desire to be useful and to, to be able to trust the Lord. We don't need a great paper trail to take us into God's throne room. What we need is a humble trail of tears to get there. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years according to my word. We're in the middle of a series of lessons on practical faith. Can there be anything more practical and risk-taking than walking up to a powerful man looking him in the eye, pointing our finger into his chest, and saying, problems, trouble's coming, disaster. We got really bad news here. We have to remember that Ahab was a really wicked man. Right. We go back to chapter, seven, chapter 16, verse number 29. And Ahab, the son of Omri reigned over Israel and Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he also took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. Notice that, king of the Zidonians and went and served Baal, worshipped Baal. He should be worshipping the Lord. He's worshipping Baal. Elijah was not standing behind a big sturdy pulpit when he talked to Ahab. He wasn't on a, 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 a pulpit looking down at the man. They were standing eye to eye. And Elijah says, we got problems right here. How did Elijah even get in to see the king? It's amazing. Did they have some sort of previous history about which we have no information? Maybe. Or did this prophet of the Lord trust God enough simply to walk right into the king's house as though he was the ambassador of some great king? Perhaps so. Don't know. But it seems to me that Elijah was walking into dangerous territory when approaching this particular wicked man. He's not just a wicked man, he's a powerful wicked man. And yet his faith in the Lord, Elijah's faith in the Lord, empowered him and sustained him in doing this. Not only was courage a necessity, but so was faith. Faith that his message was true. He's been given a message from God and he's sharing it with this man who's not going to be very happy about it and he's going to be less happy about it in a year from now. Uh, Elijah has to believe that it's a true message. His message didn't come with the authority of the printed page and the power of the Holy Spirit behind it. The Lord said to Elijah, you go to Ahab and give him this message. 
It was as much the message of God as the Bible is, but he had no, uh, he couldn't open it up and say, here's what God says. The Lord simply told me that this is the message. Our, our message does have authority behind it. Do you really believe the gospel? Is it true that every child of Adam is dead in trespasses and sins? Is it true that everybody is a sinner? Is it true that the Son of God paid the price for yes. the sinner's salvation? Is it true that only in Christ is salvation, not through any other? Is it true that he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life? Are these things true? Of course these things are true. We know them to be true. We have experienced them. But as we share these things with others who do not believe them, it's very important that we be able to go to the book of Romans or the book of John and say, here it is. Elijah didn't have that opportunity. Elijah didn't have the advantages that we have. Nevertheless, his message was God's message. Yes. Did you notice that the promise of the coming judgment was open-ended? There shall not be dew nor rain these years, so it's going to be some time, according to my word. Just that. I scoured through this chapter and several other chapters expecting to find that the drought lasted three years. That was quite common, a three-year drought. I couldn't find a statement to that effect for this drought. Imagine the pressure Elijah placed on himself when at God's command, this wasn't his idea, at God's command he said, this will end when I say it will end. It will end when I call for it to end. And this took another great step of faith. As we shall see, the drought did end when Elijah called it to end at the end of chapter 18. If I told you that tomorrow the temperature would be 80 degrees, uh, would you believe me? You might believe me if I was talking about Mexico or someplace. No one expected Ahab to believe Elijah about the drought. But Elijah believed it because he had received this message from the Lord. And then the Lord told his prophet to head east from Samaria to a little creek that ran down from the highlands into the Jordan River. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. If I was Elijah, I probably wouldn't have had a problem believing that God could keep a little spring of water bubbling out of the hillside, just enough for me to get a cup of water every now and then, and then as it rolled down the hill, it disappeared under the heat, and no one in a populated area got to drink the water. Just me. I could, I could see that. But, come on now. 
Am I supposed to trust God enough to believe that He will miraculously feed me by birds? This has gone a little far. I don't care if ravens are one of the most intelligent of all the bird species. This is going too far. But it's not going too far. This is a perfect illustration of God's ability to meet our needs any way that he chooses to do so. Right. When it comes to practical faith, there's very little more practicality than an empty stomach. I haven't eaten in three days. I, I'm starting to feel it. Whether we have a weekly salary or a monthly retirement check, the food we eat is from God. Yes, it's yeah. a gift of God. Yeah. We are to trust Him to keep our social security checks, for several of us, coming, because we can't trust the government to keep them coming. We trust the Lord to do that. And that Walmart still has a few groceries on their shelves is another gift from God. And when we reach into our wallet and pull out our debit card or grab a couple of $20 bills, we need to thank God that it doesn't require the great faith that Elijah needed to trust ravens to bring him some food to eat. But still, it is the Lord who feeds us just as it was to feed Elijah. And by the way, there's another incidental lesson here, which again is, is especially practical. Ravens are worshipped in many cultures, particularly uh, uh, North American natives. And as I just said, they're an in, a very intelligent creature as far as creatures go. But that's all they are. They're creatures nonetheless, and they should never be worshipped. And as educated Americans, you would never worship a bird. And yet, most Americans trust human entities to feed them, rather than trusting the Lord to feed them. We still misapply our faith. Most people trust the government and the grocery store. McDonald's will always have a hamburger there. Burger King will always have some food available. Elijah knew that these ravens were only God's tools. His faith was in the Lord for his twice daily meals. And perhaps between meals, he wondered where these birds were getting the food. And I have heard preachers, I've probably been one of those preachers who said, oh, they probably got it over there, got it over here, but we're not given any information at all, so it's probably a waste of time for us to even wonder about that. The Lord directed those birds to pick up food and carry them uh, Grubhub way, all, all the way to where Elijah was staying. One of the additional lessons with this, which this episode reveals is that faith should not be a one-time exercise. I know that salvation is by grace through faith and that at a particular moment in time, you who are saved were born again. Started right then. 
But the professing Christian is mistaken if he thinks that one little prayer uttered in what he thinks is faith will save him for eternity. That's not the way it is. The Christian life uh, is, is a relationship with the Savior. It's a, it flows unceasingly. And we have to have that relationship with the Lord. No Christian life is, is a, the result of a spoken word, a prayer, or even one act of faith. Our faith for salvation be, should be something which we live in forever. For me to live is Christ. God promised Elijah that there would be water to drink and bird food to eat. And it lasted for months. And with each passing day, I think it's safe to say that Elijah's faith was growing. Oh, it's going to be another 15 minutes before the birds arrive. I wonder what they'll bring me today. Uh, He expected it. And it happened over and over and over again. But the Lord wants us to continue to grow and learn and trust in ever-widening ways. So the divine plan of things, in the divine plan of things, things change. Now, Elijah, I want you to trust me in new circumstances. The Lord could have kept Elijah there at the brook Cherith until the drought came to an end. But he didn't. It's time to go to Zarephath. Verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he rose and went to Zarephath. Notice, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Do you want to guess what the Hebrew word for commanded is? It's commanded. No surprises. And the God who commanded this woman to feed him also commanded the ravens to feed him. Hmm. Whether she knew it or not, the sovereign God had ordained this woman to be a part of the Lord's great work. And that was without any faith on her part. Mm. She had no more faith in God than the ravens did. But the Lord is going to have his will carried out. Whether or not our hearts are fully engaged with faith. But when we are engaged, then the blessings flow on us. We need to be engaged by faith. We need to trust the Lord. Off Elijah went, traveling across Israel and then up into Zidon, probably passing close by Samaria, the capital of King Ahab. Where are you going, Mr. Prophet? Well, God is sending me to a heathen city where he has commanded a widow to sustain me. Do you suppose, well, I would be there probably. Do you suppose Elijah may have been picturing a a great big house owned by a wealthy woman who is now widowed? 
Someone who had the wherewithal to put some fat on his bones that had disappeared over the last few months because of the drought. How is that going to strengthen your faith, Elijah? Our faith is not strengthened by God's ability to make life easy. Our strength is, our faith is strengthened when the Lord carries us through difficulties. Zarephath will not be easier than Jareth. It'll just be different. Have you ever noticed how this event, I didn't read it, so I'm hoping you can remember. Let me just say, this event reminds me of the journey and the faith of Abraham's servant who was sent to find a wife for Isaac. Instead of being at a well of water, this woman was out picking up sticks, preparing one last meal for herself and her son. Then, similar to Eliezer or whoever that servant was, Elijah asked, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water that I may drink. Please, I pray thee, may I have a little water. Once again, there wasn't a lot of water. And once again, this was the means for determining whether or not this was the woman that uh, he was to have this help from. She willingly went to get him the water, and as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. At that point, he found out that this widow was, widow was just as destitute as he was. She had no large quantity of food. Elijah had faith that God would supply his needs. This heathen woman had no faith whatsoever. I'm going to prepare one last meal, feed it to my son, and then he and I are going to die. But then Elijah shared with her what he had. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. The woman had already recognized that this stranger who approached her is from Israel. It was probably the dress, the clothing that he was wearing. And she referred to his God, Jehovah, his God. And then he replied, speaking of Jehovah, the God of Israel. Why did God send this servant to a heathen city or the heathen city of Zarephath, a city which did not honor the Lord? Wasn't it to preach the gospel to this poor creature? To share with her the faith that he had in the Lord? Once again, this is our ministry. This is why we have been left in this world. To honor the Lord by sharing what we possess with other people around us. But to be clear, it's not simply about reiterating the details of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's more than that. It is that, but it's also about sharing the faith that we have yes. 
in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Whether this woman trusted Elijah or not, she did, as he asked, went and got some water, did prepare for him a little meal, and God met their needs for quite some extended time. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah, verse number 16. Undoubtedly, the woman was filled with gratitude for that food, and there was a little tiny seedling of faith growing up there. Maybe there is something with this God of Israel, this Jehovah. But then we come to one of the great lessons in faith's growth. True faith, victorious faith, spectacular faith is only given to those who are empty and open to God's blessings. I recently read, faith is not trusting God to get something. Faith is trusting God when there seems to be nothing left. When everything is gone, with no hope of restoration, when there is nothing on which to base one's faith, then can you still trust God? The Lord looked at that tiny faith in this heathen woman and he ordained a superhuman sifting of that faith. The son of the woman fell sick and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. She said to Elijah, Art thou come to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And Elijah said to her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom. What does this reference suggest? Is it my imagination? From where did she give Elijah the body of her dead child? She was holding him right here. Doesn't this suggest that this was a relatively small child? Not necessarily that the, the he was nursing, but still a small, small enough child to be carried. Let's put it that way. And remember, she was a widow. Hmm, can you do the math? Was this child born as a result of immorality? You're here just to point out my sins and you've taken away my child. I suppose it really doesn't matter. But perhaps in this, there's another illustration of the depth to which God's grace will go. Elijah, can you trust God to be gracious to the outcasts of society? Elijah, the gospel is not just for the sinners of Israel, but it's for the really wicked sinners of the heathen nations too, the idolaters and the immoral people. In order for this woman to be saved... She had to come to the end of herself, recognizing her wickedness and her sin. She didn't need that kind of revival that's going on over there in Kentucky. She needed the Lord. She needed to come to the very end of everything. She needed to come to the end of herself. She needed to come to the end of her life. It was then when everything else failed, 
when she lost everything, that the Lord stepped in and honored the faith which he had given her. Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth. Again, I want to point out that this is why the Lord has left us in the world. This is our calling. This is our work. We are to witness to God's truth. And the best way to witness is through faith. It's not about trusting the lessons that we have had on personal soul winning. That's how we become great soul winners. No, it's not. We become great soul winners by being empty of our own will and willing to be led by the Lord in what we say and to whom we say it. When we're people of faith, as Elijah was, trusting the Lord for things beyond our physical abilities, who knows what the Lord might do? And who knows who might become believers in the process? Sometime out there in eternity, we will likely meet this woman and perhaps her son as well. Did they, did he go on to become servants of Jehovah, the God of Israel? Will they rejoice to hear that your faith is just a little bit stronger because you studied the faith that was in them in 2023? I said that my purpose in this lesson was to consider Elijah's introduction to his great victory in chapter 18. Having gone through the chapter, let me just summarize things in several points. Not only was this for Elijah, this was for Ahab. This was for the widow of Zarephath. It was for her child. What if... Elijah did not believe God, had not gone to Zarephath, had not gone to Cherith. What are the steps toward great faith, those that are illustrated here? First of all, there's a recognition that the Lord, Jehovah, the God of Israel, lives. Verse number one. Is the God of Israel the God of your salvation omnipotent or not? Well, of course he knows he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. You say that he is. Well, then believe him. Trust him. That's what Elijah is doing. Second, Elijah said, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, we are never going to experience God's power and his pleasure until we take up residence in his presence. For me to live is Christ. As the Lord liveth before whom I stand. By the way, we must, absolutely must, kick off our filthy shoes while we stand in his presence. We have to stand there in our bare feet, worthless feet, ugly feet, and if he wants to make them beautiful, then we praise the Lord for that. Third, we need to listen and hear what the Lord is saying. The word of the Lord came unto him. 
God's, God had words to share with King Ahab and with the widow, and he gave those words to those other people through Elijah. Go ye into all the world with faith and preach the gospel to every creature. And included in that gospel message, by the way, Ahab, is judgment. At the same time, if we intend to be the one that the Lord would like us to be, growing in our faith, we must listen to the Lord's messages which are personal and directed to us. I have a message for you to give to Ahab. The message was delivered. Now, Elijah, get to the brook Cherith. After Cherith, take you up to Zarephath. Get the hence, Elijah. Turn eastward, hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And there I want you to trust me for something small, like a little spring of water. And then after that, I want you to trust me for something a little bit bigger, food brought, brought by ravens. And then I want you to trust me to keep a barrel of meal with a little bit at the bottom for months, months. The fifth lesson here is that the blessings of God and the faith necessary to enjoy them are going to change over time. The blessings are going to change and so are the tests of that faith and blessing. This means we must have faith which is adaptable. By that I don't say trust the Lord here and trust somebody else over here. Now we just have to approach the Lord from different directions depending on the situation. Our trust must be in the Lord, but will, it will involve different things at different times in our lives. If we want to enjoy the sort of victory that we will take a look at Wednesday on Mount, Mark, Mount Carmel, we need to begin small, and we be, need to begin today. What can you trust the Lord for? What tomorrow should you Cast your soul on trusting God for. I hesitate to mention this, but it's such a blessing to me. This morning I prayed, trusting God to bring to our service this morning three specific couples. I gave the Lord their names. And then I asked the Lord, and bring us someone who's never been here before. And Lord, I expect to see them. Each one of those came to pass. In, and and we, haven't, we haven't seen one of them in, in quite some time. A simple thing. What can we trust the Lord for? My point is, step out and trust the Lord for something specific. Test yourself. Test the Lord. We're going to fail. The Lord never will. Trust the Lord. Jesus said in Mark 11, When you pray, believe. Amen. Trust Him.